Hello and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show, talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. Have you heard that the inaugural Landscape Photography World Awards is now open for entries? Early bird entry is available now at a discounted fee until September 30, 2022. Head to landscapephotographyworldawards.com to find out all the details and how to enter. There's some amazing prizes to be won and I'll be publishing a book and a calendar with the top images at the end of the competition, so there's plenty to look forward to. Entries close on November 30, 2022, so there's plenty of time to get your entry sorted, but if you want to get into the early birds, do it now. I'd also like to thank the judges who have agreed to work with me and be a big part of the awards. Deb Clark, Victoria Hark, Kieran Stone and William Patino. I certainly couldn't make this competition a reality without their support. This week I'm joined by Steve Belasco to talk about his unique coscapes where he captures landscape images from the sea. I first saw Steve's work in a pub when I was on holiday in Dorset earlier this year. What I saw was a series of intriguing images of the Dorset coast taken from a boat on the sea. They were unique and interesting, so I spoke to the barman, and luckily he had one of Steve's business cards behind the bar. When I got home, I contacted Steve, and he agreed to be my guest for this week's episode. His career spanned several decades, from his days as a newspaper stringer, through to his paparazzi and sports photography years, to freelancing, and eventually to what he now loves doing, showing people the Jurassic Coast from a very different viewpoint. Everyone has seen Dirtledore and many of the iconic locations on that coast from the land, but few have photographed it in the way that Steve is doing. He's published a number of books of his Coastscape photography and has just published a new one which we talk about in the show. We also touch on why he gave up newspaper photography, how he manages a camera and a boat at the same time, his work in magazine production and his association with the Jurassic Coast Trust, along with a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy his fascinating story. Hi Steve, welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Good afternoon, Grant. Uh, yeah, it's nice to be here. Uh, it's uh, pretty grim here at the moment. We've had some hot weather, but it's now uh, overcast and drizzling. Um, sounds sounds uh, a, a little bit interesting. We're, uh, we're <laughs> back to rain. We were um, enjoying a little bit of warmth and a uh, bit of sun, but uh, we're, we're back to rain, and I think we've had well and truly enough rain this year. It's uh, it, It's been a... But been a lot of it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you're heading towards your summer now. And we're heading away from our summer. Um, yeah. We've had records, you've probably seen record high temperatures here and so forth. So um, there's been no rain for a long, long time. So we're um, we're quite welcoming it. Yeah, no, I don't don't blame you. I was, I was over there not long ago, actually, in uh, June. And uh, I was down in your part of the world, which is actually how I came to find out about you. I um, uh, mm. was actually in a pub in Abbotsbury, which I believe is just down the road from where you live. And Indeed. saw some of your work on the wall and was chatting to the barman there and he gave me one of your cards. So um, I thought, okay, well, this guy's work looks interesting. I, I want to have a chat to him. So oh, I guess... Why don't you start with who you are and what you do, and then we can talk a little bit about why you do it. 
Okay, I mean, do you want a, a potted history? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I have combined my two favourite um, interests, which are boating and photography. And um, what I do now in my, when I have time, is I cruise up and down the local coastline uh, with my camera in a small, my small motorboat, photographing everything I see, basically. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, the area is called, known as the Jurassic Coast. It's a World Heritage Site, and it covers the whole of the Dorset coast in South England and yep. a stretch of East Devon as well. In total, it's about 95 miles long. Mm-hmm. And um, about 10, 15 years ago, my wife was saying, why don't you combine the photography and the boating? And I sort of, sort of thought, ding, why haven't I really thought about that? And uh, I'd moved into, I had been a professional photographer for, for many years and I moved into the newspaper and magazine production. Yep. Uh, and, but I wanted to carry on with my, my own photography. so. I thought, yeah, that's a great idea. I can make that to sort of uh, my, my, my focus in photography. And so I, I, I basically, I, I document the entire Jurassic Coast from wave level. Yeah. And it's a bit of a niche because there are many, many very good landscape photographers who work on the land, of course. And this is a very popular part of the country for photography. Absolutely. There are yeah, also quite a few that. these days, drone, drone photographers, um, but nobody does it from a boat. And there are very, very, or very few people do that. There's various reasons for that, including the fact that you have to be able to drive your boat at the same time as taking pictures. Unless you've um, got somebody else to drive your boat, I guess. But yeah. Unless you've got somebody else, which I don't. No. Um, so that's probably the reason why it's not. Uh, I'm, I'm more or less the only person in this area that's doing it, which means I've got a bit of a niche because people who want Jurassic Coast images um, now do have this choice of having the coast from offshore and mm. to be honest it's the sea that created the Jurassic coast so it seems to me it's the best place to view it from as well um, mm. and it's gone it's gone very well i've um i've been doing it as i say about 12 12 years on my small boat i've got a family and things so obviously i can't commit to it full time but um yeah pictures have sold well i've got quite i've got a quite an extensive image library now and, uh, of the jurassic coast and the magazine it's, all, it's mostly editorial stuff magazines cool. newspapers books use these images um i'm also involved in the jurassic coast trust which is the uh charity which looks after the world heritage site mm-hmm. um, and i'm sort of official supplier of them uh, images to them and um i'm just having my i'm just in the process of my third book being published uh which i I've just received the first one by airmail from India where it's being printed and I'm just waiting for the actual uh, copies to come to, be, to come by container ship. Um, it's through a publisher and as I say, it's my third book. Yeah, uh, and it's, um, it's you could, you're never going to make a living from this, but it's certainly um, it's very handy um, extra income and it's nice to have a hobby, two hobbies that pay for themselves really. Absolutely. Um, That's- so I'm, I'm now working part time as a production journalist, producing news, news magazines and things. And as I say, in my spare time, I'm, I'm, I try to get out on the boat as much as I can and, and photograph everything. That also includes shipping people, animals, wildlife, as well as the incredible views that you get yeah. from, from, from wave level. Well, as I said, you know, it, when, when I was in that pub looking at some of your work, what drew me was that niche, as you said, or the uniqueness of uh, you know that wave level view that not many landscape you know l- looking at the landscape from the sea 
really sort of, you know, drew me into, okay, I've got to find out a little bit more about this guy and why he does what he does. <laughs> so I guess, you know, that that's, let, let, let's start with how you actually got started in photography. You know, let, let's go right back to the beginning if we can. Um, sure, yeah. I mean, uh, how long have you got? Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're not bounded by time. and you know. <laughs> I've, I've, It's been a, a, a seismic shift in what I do. But when I first started, I was just, a, like all of us, a keen amateur. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had a, actually, my first camera was one of the Zenith Bs, which sort of weighed about uh, 10 kilos. And uh, it was a good, solid, robust camera. And But I became keen on photography and I thought, I quite felt very naively. I thought, oh, I think I'll become a professional photographer, thinking it would be very simple. Um, yeah, you walk around clicking images and yeah. you know, people will so love them and buy lots going of them. Back, <laughs> going back um, oh, early 80s, really, I, uh, I got friendly with a guy that worked for a news agency in, in the Midlands in England, where I, where I lived at the time. And he let me uh, sort of assist him, basically, in my spare time. Hmm. And he was a newspaper agency photographer in the area, and I gradually started getting the occasional picture published in news national newspapers um, of sport because we were covering a lot of sport in the area. And that went on for quite a while until I um, started working regularly for the local newspapers as a photographer part time. Um, and I was doing the real crap that you know most professionals wouldn't bother with. You know, I used to have to go out late on a Monday night and photograph darts teams that won their darts uh, match in a pub <laughs> and then go home set my dark room up in my bathroom process the pictures in black and white and then deliver them to the newspaper um, office the next morning so i'd be um i'd be up till like two in the morning then getting up early the next morning again taking these pictures in and then i'll get the, the you know the grand sum of five quid for doing that you know and um it was the stuff that other people would just wouldn't bother with yeah, um, yeah. So I actually got quite a, you know, I got quite a lot of work out through that. And eventually these people that I was doing part-time work for launched their own newspaper in the area. And they got in touch with me and said, look, well, you know, we want a full-time staff photographer in our new newspaper. How do you fancy it? Uh, so of course I, you know, that was it. Everyone wants to do their hobby for a living. And um, so that's how I actually became a pro uh, in 1982 that was. and. Uh, I was a professional press photographer for local newspapers. I moved across over after the, over the years uh, to do this agency work. Um, I was working for an agency called Raymond's in the Midlands, which is, was the, at the time was the biggest news agency outside London, and mainly sport because, well, as I say, where we were was a, a brilliant place for doing sports photography. And um, I, I eventually had pictures published in virtually every national newspaper in the country, except the Observer. I never got a picture in the Observer. For some reason, um, but all you know, all the, the Times and the and the Mail and Express and the Suns and the Telegraphs, all all the nationals through the agency. Mm. Um, then after a while, I uh, started getting having um, to be honest, personal issues with some of the stuff we were doing. Um, an agency photography, as you probably know, is very cutthroat, and yep. um, you cover everything. You're the real dregs of society, and um, we started covering some very unpleasant court cases and stuff like that. And um, oh. and uh, it didn't suit me really. I wanted to be um, doing sort of cheerful stuff rather than this really uh, cutthroat, hard news stuff. And although I did quite well at it, I didn't like doing it. And um, the last 
you know, we did we did court major crown court cases of horrible, horrible crimes and things, and trying to catch you know, get snaps of the of the villains and so forth. And of course, the more and sensational after, the image, the the, the yeah, yeah, the more they Absolutely. want it. Yeah, and, and to be like that, you've got to have a certain sort of mindset, really, to be mm. ruthless, I suppose. And I just I got a, I got a bit of a exaggerated conscience, and and I didn't like the fact that we were making a lot of money out of other people's misfortune. And yeah, um, yeah. the final the final thing for me was in 1989, I think January, you may or may not remember the famous M1 air crash that happened when, a, when an airliner came down on the motorway. In, I do recall it, yes. Yeah, and um, I, was, I was right on my doorstep. So I was one of the first photographers on the scene and I saw some very, very horrible things that couldn't possibly be published. Mm. But my agency, we were sending pictures around the world for 36 hours nonstop after that. And we made an absolute fortune we made thousands and thousands of it. And I'd, I'd seen this terrible, 44 people were killed and many more were horribly injured. Hmm. And I just said, this is, I can't do this anymore. This is immoral. We shouldn't be making money out of, the, of people's misery. Yep. So I, I quit the agency and moved back into, uh, into provincial photography where people open the door when you knock on it rather than slam it in your face, you know. Yeah, and, um, yeah. No, a lot less swearing at you. Well, yeah, and also, so you don't get sort of alsatian set on you and all this sort of thing <laughs> and um so that i went back into provincial photography but i decided to move down south again where i'd originally come from and that's how i ended up here in dorset near the coast yeah, fantastic uh, it was quite ironic because i worked for a small local newspaper as a, as a country photographer a district photographer lovely little job full-time you know reasonable salary nice. and the first two stories i did were <laughs> major national stories um of various criminal <laughs> crimes that happened around here. And I thought, hang about, the whole point was to get away from this sort of thing. Uh, out of, uh, out of the frying pan into the fire. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, this lovely little county of Dorset. And then there were two major news stories where, again, all the, all the images went national. Um, yeah. But after that, it settled down. And um, I, I carried on for another 10, 12 years before I uh, decided that I'd done photographed almost everything I wanted to photograph, really, or, or covered almost every subject you could think of. Yeah, and I'd yeah. become interested in magazine and newspaper production um, and design. Uh, so I moved across. And I was fortunate enough; my editor um, gave me a job as a, as a production journalist, a designer. And then I, I moved up into that full time and just did photography on the side. Nice. Um, yeah. Which was nice because I was photographing what I wanted to photograph, not what other people were telling me to photograph. And, uh, yeah, which which I think is every photographer's dream. You know, any anyone that goes into professional photography, you know, doesn't want to be told, "Oh, photo photograph that coke can, photograph that news story, yeah. whatever." You know, photograph that model in in a certain yeah. certain way. You know, it has to be to this style or to this this brief. You know. And, uh, and, and uh, being able to do yeah, what you want is really where you want to be, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, also with the onset of digital photography, uh, it was becoming, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was becoming um, easier for publications to get pictures for free and from from other from amateurs. And from yeah, every every man in his phone, an iPhone. So, yeah, hey. and, and and nowadays. As you know, it's very difficult to make a living out of photography. As uh, very few people do, when, you know. When I started, there, there was a good living to be made, and um, you know, if you're good at your job, you got looked after. Uh, these yeah. days, everyone expects everything for nothing. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so I, I just, um, I'm just going out photographing what I enjoy doing in my own time and selling it along the way. 
uh, till anyone wants to buy it, really. And um, okay. that's where I am at the moment. So as I said, I've had three books published now. Uh, the third one has just come out, which is called The Jurassic Coast from the Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just come out. It's on, it's on its way. The first book was called Dorset from the Sea. Yep. We should just cover this county. It's all seascapes. I call them coastscapes, actually. Um, and that sold out. We sold 4,000 copies of that, which, went, which was, it was a hardback book, so it went very well. Um, yeah. In between, I produced a very small book myself, which I published myself, not through a publisher, about Portland, the Isle of Portland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this, this new, this, the new one now uh, is, again, through a publisher. It's a coffee table book. And um, the signs are it should, it should sell well like the first one did excellent um, so yeah i mean this as i say the, the niche is that it's all from boats photographing from boats that so i call them coastscapes and there are many sort of technical challenges of working on a boat that you don't face on the land um which some people don't understand uh, but there are technical challenges we, we might go into a little bit later, I suppose. Yeah, happy, happy to delve into the technical side of it. Um, yeah. I guess where where I'd like to move now is you know the the motivation. I guess um, I mean in, a lot of people like messing about in boats uh, and whatever. And as you said, you, you your wife suggested why don't you combine the two? Um, I guess what what motivates you creatively and what is it i guess that you're chasing most in in your photography at the moment <clears throat> well what i've been having lived down in this part of the world for uh, 30 years now and having sailed up and down the coast uh, in in the past i was always struck by the stunning views from offshore mm. and it occurred to me after a while that very few people were lucky enough to see those views because they don't get out on boats um, so I thought, why don't I uh, record these views, you know, photographically, uh, and and which means that people who can't get out on boats or don't go out on boats or it doesn't occur to them to do so can mm. enjoy these views without having to actually commit to something like that. Um, also, I'm immensely proud of this this part of the world. I think it's absolutely the coastline is just wonderful. Um, it is unique, and as I said before, it has been designated a World Heritage Site because it's unique. But there are, there, are, there are so many people out there who have never seen these um, offshore views. Mm. So I thought I would make it my mission, my sort of unofficial mission, to spread the word about how fabulous it is here uh, and show people how it looks from a viewpoint many of them will, will never experience. Uh, at the same time, um, I joined, as I said, the Jurassic Coast Trust, which is the charity that uh, looks after the, the coast, basically. And um, so I'll provide stuff for them, um, not free, but it's a very, it's it's a labour of love, to be honest. Um, I'm so proud of this area that I want everyone to see it. And one of the most interesting things is the number of local people that have have bought pictures and books and said, you know what, I've lived here all my life. I have no idea. (laughs) No idea it looked like this from the sea sort of thing. And that's been very, 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 very pleasing. Um, So I'm I'm just bragging. It's bragging rights, really, about what a fabulous place I live in. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I can't can't blame you. I mean, you've got uh, you know the, the 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 iconic spots there around uh, you know Dirtle Door, Lulworth Cove, uh, you know Old Harry Rocks. You, know, you could reel off another dozen or so, and you you know them far better than I do. But you know, the, just for some of the people listening that uh, might not know the area, I guess you know 
what what are the places that you keep returning to simply because you know they might be the iconic or they might be the less iconic but you know the the ones that you get drawn back to time and again and i guess you know i'm i'm interested again in the why 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 do you keep getting drawn to those those places one of the, one of the amazing things about working on a boat is that the lighting is very different at sea than it is on land and there are several reasons for that um but that's one of the reasons why you go back to certain spots is to catch them in different lights uh, mm. at time of day time of year and weather conditions um and they look very very different uh particularly in the west, west of dorset where you've got the very high peaks like uh, golden cap and yep. um, doghouse hill and places like that um if you catch the the, the 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 there is sand and there is clay and there are different colored uh, materials and depending what time of year what angle the sun's at they glow different colors mm -hmm. and um i always find it fascinating that how different the same place can look purely by uh nature's light just you know without, without i never use filters um i just uh, photograph what i see and um so there are places, as you say, Durdle Door, for example, is probably the most photographed location in Dorset. It's one of the most famous coastal landmarks in the country, probably. Yep, yep. Um, and millions and millions have taken pictures, uh, good, very high quality images, obviously by pros as well, from, from the shore. But again, from viewed from the sea, it's very, very different. Uh, and you don't see that many from seaweed, and people yeah. always say, oh, and it, it, "It is a unique, I guess, perspective on on looking at it, particularly when you, you know, it's it, it's going to be different depending on you know wave height. It's going to be d different depending, as you say, on, on on the light and so forth as well." Yeah, well, I, I went. Um, there was, a, I think, you've probably seen in the last few years, people have noticed landscape photographers have noticed that at a certain time of year, around midwinter. Mm -hmm. You can catch the sunrise right through Dirtle Door. So yep. in the last few years, a lot of those pictures have been appearing with the sun just it only lasts for about a week or ten days, something like that. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and so what happened? So I thought, right, I'll go down there uh, midwinter and do the other from the other side, you know, because everyone else does it the other way around. And so I got I went down there a few years back on on December the twenty first for dawn, um, and got some fabulous pictures of the the, of the sunrise. And, and the, door, the door glowing such a bright orange that yeah. people which you would not have seen from the land side at all no that's right it's just it's just completely hidden from from land totally. yeah. and, and then of course when i got when i got down there there was like 30 photographers on the beach you know doing the other direction i was the only person going <laughs> and I, as a matter of mischief I, I took the boat through the door as well just to annoy them um, <laughs> uh, but uh, that's being mischievous but uh, yeah it, it's the same it's um lots of people do similar images um mm. but the opposite direction is very very unusual and you know, it's not just Dirtle Door, it's all, all, all the cliffs change colour and um, because of the Jurassic Coast has three major prehistoric eras, there are different types of materials as, as you go along the coast. So it, it does change colour physically as well. When you go down to the far west, it's all um, sandstone and, um, yep, yep. And, and mudstone, which is because it used to, you know, 250 million years ago, it was all desert and that's why it's sand. Um, then you come up to the main part which is the jurassic area of dorset and that's 150 million years old and that's all when the big animals were about it's all mud and rock mm. mudstone uh, and then you get to the far east as you say old harry rocks and it's chalk which is much younger chalk, which is pure yeah. white um, yeah. 
Uh, so, you know, there's 95 miles of it, and you, you know, there's always something new, something different um, in, in the view. But then when you factor in what else is going on, which is like, like the, um, the interaction between humans and animals and um, industry yep. with the coastline as well, uh, this, 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 you know, it's endless, really. Yeah, definitely. So when, how much planning do you put into a trip out in the boat? Are you, I mean, obviously the one with Dirtledore, you, you did that deliberately to sort of pick that, um, that sunrise uh, in midwinter. But, yeah. uh, you know, outside of that, you know, let, let's say you were heading out this weekend. Have you thought about that for weeks before about what it is that you want to do or is it more of a spur of the moment sort of thing? Not, not at all. It's very much spur because... I have a very small boat. It's only a 17-foot motorboat. Um, yeah. It's a nice little boat, but it's very, very much governed by the weather. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, can't go out, I can't go out in any weather. Um, yeah. The rain, don't mind. You know, grey, I don't mind, but it's the wind that's the issue. It's the wave size. Yeah, wave, wave height, yeah. But, yeah, so I'm very much governed by that. And then also with still doing other jobs and having a family and so forth, I don't have as much time as I would like. So I am... Um, when, when, there's, when there's a couple of hours spare, I can just nip down, get in the boat, zoom out somewhere, um, and just photograph whatever I see. Mm. A lot of a lot of stuff I do at the moment is, is also I do shipping, a lot of shipping stuff. I work for several magazines like Ships Monthly and uh, Warships, and uh, because uh, th this area is very busy with shipping. Um, yeah, well, you you got Portsmouth just up the road, or just up just well, Port, no, Port, it's, it's Portland, Portland Port Harbour. Yeah. yeah, Portsmouth is is out of the area, um, but this is a very busy area. Um, for shipping and it's a very lot of um, fishing going on as well as um, uh, say Portland port is, is a is a thriving um, mm. port and there are big ships huge ships and small boats small ships coming in and out every day uh, and there are there are as you as you know there are magazines uh, which cater for people who are fans of ships and things and um, I do a lot of editorial um, stuff for, for, for that sort of thing ships and it's an excuse for me just to go out and get on the boat and go out and do something yeah. um the, the the ultimate for me is actually got a ship a ship photo in well two things are my proudest moments really i got a ship, had a double page spread in national geographic of, of, a, of a of a of a warship um which was you know that's the that's the pinnacle really is national geographic um, yep one aspires to get in there i think um and the other one was I managed to get a photograph of a cruise ship across the centre spread of Warships magazine. Okay. And um, the editor said that's the first time they've ever done anything like that. But there was a small warship in the picture as well, and it just looked, it gave an idea of the scale yeah, of yeah. cruise ships. And the editor said, he said, he actually said to me, I never thought I'd publish a, a commercial vessel across the centre spread of, of Warships magazine. <laughs> so those are two of my um, recent achievements that i'm proud of very good yeah. very good so how would you describe your style and you know how is how did that develop and is it still developing or is it something that you kind of keep repeating because you've got a, a set way of doing things that you you know have sort of developed yeah, yeah. And, and really like i think i think that the style is more the niche really is the fact that i mean i'm not i'm not you know i don't consider myself to be a brilliant photographer but i have established a little niche mm. um there are, there are very all sorts of there are various challenges about photographing from a boat obviously the fact that you're moving around in all different direction dimensions and um 
it's not just like being on land because you, you know, you're pitching, rolling, yawing, and it's quite a violent movement sometimes. Um, yep. So things like uh, uh, things like um, artificial or, or VR, whatever they call it, yeah, VR that don't work on the boat because you're moving around you know, too violently in too many dimensions. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so vibration reduction doesn't really work. So the, that means that you have to use very high shutter speeds most of the time. Yeah. Um, and that Which is, is kind um, of anathema to a lot of landscape photographers that, yeah. Exactly. It's the complete yeah. opposite. Um, so you're using very high shutter speeds. And because of that, you're using your lenses wide open a lot of the time. Yep. Complete opposite to landscape where you've got to try, you know, use tripods and um, stop down the lens for maximum sharpness and depth of field. Hmm. And uh, you can use longer exposures. So I'm shooting at around two thousandths of a second most of the time. Wow. Which okay. means which means the lenses are more often than not wide open, you know. Uh, and I, they're not the best lenses, they're good, but they're not they're not fantastic. Um so it really does test the quality of your lens, you know, at full bore, basically. Yeah. Um and that, so that's another issue. I, I, the weather here I seem to usually go out, it seems to be overcast most of the time. And um the autofocus again systems don't work so well when it's dark uh, and dingy and you're at full bore. Um, yep. And so it's a bit hit and miss. I've found that when the sun's I've, out, I've seen that and... seen that problem myself in in trying to do uh, very long exposures in in very dark conditions. You know, and you know, I, I largely I just switched to manual and you know uh, zoom yeah. right in on the back of the camera. Where, but I've got the luxury of time because I'm. I might be taking a, a seven-minute exposure, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Uh, rather than the two thousandths of a second, yeah, um, yeah. So, so the, 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 all these, these these different technical challenges. Um, getting how do, you, how do you manage things like depth of field? Because obviously, you know, if you're wide open at uh, you know anything less than f four and whatever, you're going to then start to run into very very narrow focal lengths that you've got to deal with you know so how, how do you manage that sort of thing in in the field that is that is probably one of the probably the major issues the fact that you've got the depth of field of a fag packet basically um yeah. and the lens you're moving around you know if you're using telephotos which i mean you're normally using short tellies i haven't got any really long ones but um mm -hmm. that is obviously the movement is exaggerated hugely through a telephoto of a boat absolutely um, and you've got no different field. So the autofocus is really struggling a lot of the time. Um, when it's something like um, a landscape, you've got, as you say, you've got time to uh, compose and, and, and fire off plenty of images. But if I'm chasing dolphins or something like that, um, yeah. you have very little chance. I, I've been very lucky in capturing, you know, wild dolphins and seals and things like that. But uh, you, there is an awful lot of, you know, um, Collateral damage <laughs> for every hundred shots is probably one decent one, sort of thing. Yeah, which sure. isn't obviously isn't an issue with digital these days, but it does mean that autofocus is tested. Uh, and I've missed a great deal of work, several absolute perlers because they like a dolphin jumping out at a certain spot, and the, the autofocus can't catch it quickly enough, you know. And um, so that's another issue. Is that, I mean, obviously, when I started in photography, there was no autofocus, it was all manual focus. But, no, um, that's it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you weren't, if you're, I mean, like saying, I did a lot of motorsport when I was starting out and you, you can predict very accurately where they're going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, wildlife just suddenly appears out of nowhere. And, um, yeah, that's you it. Know, you, you can't predict where a dolphin's going to. You can't predict it. And you, by the time you've got, your, you know, you're on it, the autofocus hasn't got time to focus. And, um, 
so I've, I've, I've been lucky. I've had some nice uh, wildlife spreads and some nice magazine features about the wildlife, the uh, ocean wildlife. Um, but some of the things I see uh, is heartbreaking when you, <laughs> you, you know, you know, you caught it, but it wasn't in focus at the time. Yeah, and, um, yeah. <laughs> um, so there's all sorts. Of, there's a lot of frustrations, and also you, you've got. To, it's a hostile environment for a camera being out on the sea, and um, it's splashy, and the water is all salty. Yep. And you often it's a very fine um, bit of spray in the air. You hardly even notice. Yeah, but it's got salt, salt in it, and it really does your your filters. You know, you you need to change filters quite frequently, which are very expensive. So I can't do that too much. Um, so that's another um, uh, thing you're looking out for is protecting your lenses, uh, you know, anticipating when a bit of spray is going to come aboard and turning away from it and so forth. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm using Nikon stuff because I've always used Nikon. Sure. Uh, for 40 years, I've used Nikon. Um, now, often now, I mean, I don't know if I can get into technical stuff, but these, day, these days, I think if I was starting again, I would probably opt for Canon. Um, yeah. But the Nikon stuff is fabulous. I mean, it's great. It's very expensive, but um, it's, it's, it's obviously great stuff. And the better cameras are weather sealed. I wouldn't call Canon cheap. <laughs> well, no, I know. But, but, well, you know, if you go back a bit, when I remember as... You know, when I started off in the 80s, uh, Nikon was the professional camera. That's that true. Was it. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until the late 80s, early 90s, Canon sort of muscled in. Yeah. And Nikon, Nikon sat on their laurels for years, and, and Canon ate away at their, their dominance. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of, um, I think Nikon just sat there so smugly, thinking no one's ever going to get into our um, sphere. So Canon were bringing out the same sort of glassware, a third cheaper. It was the same, yeah. just as good quality. And it's a third cheaper, and that's why a lot of pros moved over to Canon in the, in the 90s um, before Nikon eventually caught up again. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, but it was too late by then. People, have, yeah. you know, it's when you're halfway through a career, it's difficult to switch operating systems, you know. And um, obviously, all my lenses were old Nikon's manual ones, all sorts of bits and pieces. So I just stuck with. With the Nikon, really. Well, that's the thing. Once you've made the investment in the glass, it's really uh, does make it very difficult to uh, to to change over. Yeah, indeed. So, um, as I say, if I was starting again now, I'd probably opt for Canon because they are still slightly cheaper than Nikon, but um, it's, it's, you know, it's much of a muchness. But uh, Nikon, Nikon shot themselves in the foot back there twenty thirty years ago when they um, when they you know they were too smug about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You yeah. put a lot of emphasis, I guess, on the environment in your work, um, and you're obviously uh, a member of the um, the Jurassic Coast Trust. There, uh, how important is you know bringing <coughs> the people's attention those environmental issues to you? Yeah, yeah. It's um, the thing about the Jurassic Coast is it's, it's a live it's a live thing. It's always changing. It's eroding all the time. <coughs> Excuse me. You're up. And that is what that's what caused the that's what created the coast as it is now in the first place, is erosion by the sea. So there's no point in trying to protect it because you can't. Uh, Mother yeah. Nature will always will always take over. So the Jurassic Coast Trust really is just about educating people into understanding um why it is like it is and why there's no point trying to stop it stop natural um processes from happening mm. um but I th one of the things is that the, the rest, obviously things like fossils and dinosaurs are the big 
draws for the Jurassic Coast. Yeah, it's why a lot of people want to go. Yeah, and there's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of the geology is just, is is just obviously phenomenal. People come from all over the world to study the geology there because, for various unique reasons, you can't do it anywhere else on the planet. You see certain things, and um, but for me, I'm not I'm no geologist. I know the very basics, and that's it. What interests me as a photographer are the aesthetics. Um, um, so I'm sort of um, I don't contribute really in any way to the scientific side of it, but I do contribute to the, you know, the the aesthetic promotional side of the trust yeah um, not everybody wants to know about you know different periods or, or, or historic eras or whatever they just want to come and go swimming in a in a, in a where there's an attractive backdrop uh, so the thing you know the great thing is we've got some of the cleanest water in Europe here as well we're very lucky um, so you can come here you can you can sail you can dive you can scuba you can fish just swim you can go boating Go water skiing, kite surfing, whatever it is you want to do, all these different sports with this amazing backdrop behind you, uh, to, to, which is like the cream icing on the cake, really. Uh, and that's, that's the side of it that I'm, and look at wildlife, of course. Yeah. And that's yep. the side of it that I'm interested in, is promoting the beauty, the, the, the visual interest of it. There are plenty of scientists in the, in the group which um, <laughs> know all about the science of it, but. There is a, a large number of people that just like to come and visit a tourist, or we want to encourage to, to just enjoy the environment, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I was certainly one of those back in uh, June this year. It was, uh, and you know, you certainly got uh, that, you know, aesthetics in spades from uh, from my perspective. Uh, you know, some. Did you, get, did you get out on a boat? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, yeah. Well, I was actually with my uh, wife and her parents, uh, who are uh, in their nineties. So it was oh, right. not yeah. not terribly easy. Um, we've uh, you know we we stuck to the land, unfortunately, while we were down in Dorset. But um, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, for for me. Again, I didn't get to do some of the photography that I would have liked, but uh, it was just marvellous being there and uh, really enjoyed, you know, being being in the environment down there. It's just uh, just an absolutely stunning area, and uh, anybody that uh, misses misses out on getting there uh, is is definitely missing out on something, uh, you know, that maybe a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah, well, as I say, you know, it was it was actually twenty years ago it was awarded mm. uh, World Heritage status, which puts it right out there with, you know, the Grand Canyon and the Great Barrier Reef, of course. And um, is that yeah. it, is that important to Earth science? This this little stretch of coast here. Yeah. Um, uh, well, let's say from a photographic point of view, one of the, the, the other interesting thing, as I said, mentioned earlier, is, is the lighting. Mm. You get this very unusual light when you're on the water because the sea acts like a giant reflector, really. Yep. So you've got this, um, this this fill-in light coming from below, mm. which gives you lovely um, lovely tone ranges and all sorts of um, uh, different colours that you don't normally get on land. You haven't got that bounce back coming from the water. Yep. Um, again, the sun angle makes a huge difference, of course. Um, and another thing is there's a thing called sea breeze front which is when 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 the when warm air comes in from the sea onto the land it, it rises upwards and creates a line of clouds which you don't really see on land because you're underneath them and you, you can be on land looking out to see a, a clear blue sky 
Mm. But if you actually see, looking into land, you, you can see a line of these lovely white fluffy clouds, which, cool. which are essentially a nice, uh, nice for nice uh, vistas photography and stuff like that. Uh, so again, it's, it's an angle that you don't get from land. Uh, yeah. And the lighting is uh, also winter seems to me to be the better time to be out there because we don't have the um, haze and stuff and, and the air is very, very clear in the winter. It's yeah. pretty cold sometimes, but um, but it's very very clear and crisp, and uh, that makes for obviously for nice nice photography. No, nice. Yeah. Um, you you talked about ha- having to balance full time work and uh, a family, etc. So how do you fit your photography in? Well, as I say, I'm now um, I'm working part time now as a magazine editor, actually, um, not a photographic magazine. I hasten to add. A news magazine, mm-hmm. and the family are are um, pretty much grown up. Um, but it's always been the case that uh, go popping out for half a day here, half a day there, a couple of hours here. When I was a little bit a few years ago, I would go away for a couple of days at a time sometimes because the Jurassic Coast, as I say, is approximately ninety five miles long, and in my little boat, you can't possibly cover that sort of distance in a day. So I would actually go away um, for three or four days. And trundle off down to um to Devon or across to um across to East Dorset, the pool area, and just stay on the boat, which is very, very small, has no facilities. Um, but in you know, when it's when the weather's okay, it's it's okay for a day or two to stay aboard. Um yeah, yeah. and that, that that's but that's and that's what I was doing really. Uh the, the the short trips out, I used to sail a lot, and sailing is not the ideal way of getting to places quickly if you need no. to. Definitely not. So um, eventually uh, we got rid of the sailing boat and got a small uh, motorboat, which can go very fast if you want it to, although I know I rarely go fast. And um, so it means I can nip out for two hours if something's going on. <clears throat> if somebody has spotted a pod, pod of dolphins somewhere and the weather's okay, I can nip out quickly, try and get some pictures and come back in again. Um, but I'm not the, – the, the image library on the website now is about eight – I think about eight or 9,000 images now. And uh, Okay. The um, there isn't. I'm not going out anywhere. You know, I've built up. I've now built up the library. I've got all the basics. I've sort of sure. photographed every every meter of the Jurassic Coast, but really. Um, so I, every now and then, I go on a, on, a, on a trip to to see what's whether been you know maybe landslides or slips. Yep. To get more more updated images from the sea, but mainly as I say, I'm limited now to going out in the, in the immediate environs and on, on two hours here or four hours there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm really just photographing everything I see. There's always something. It's either wildlife or a fishing boat, you know, hauling in its nets or um, a bit of cloud action over the land. Or There's always something to photograph. It's very rare that I haven't come back with something I'm pleased with. Hmm. Um, although I've often come back very frustrated as well. Um, <laughs> I think that's, uh, that, that's the lived experience of a photographer, isn't it? Frustration. Yeah, indeed. I, I, nearly one day I was going to I had an idea of, of publishing a book called Great Photos I've Missed. Um, <laughs> uh, because there, there are many. I'm sure we've all had those experiences. But, yeah. um, well, that, that, yeah. that's the thing. I was talk, talking to somebody the other day, you know, and they were you know, actually admiring a few of my photos and I said, well, you know, what you're not seeing is all the failures. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's it. You know, you say, well, yeah, yeah, this is a nice picture, but you should see the one I missed. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
what what's the most memorable experience you've had uh, in in your photography career? And it doesn't have to necessarily be uh, you know the, the the landscape slash seascape stuff. Oh, I don't know. There, there are many. Um, when I started off, I, I was doing mainly sports photography in black and white for newspapers, and um, mm -hmm. I was very lucky to get to because of where I live, which is the East Midlands. I was covering. Um, uh, European football, uh, Test cricket, um, the Torval and Dean were from my, my town that I lived in, so they were winning the Olympic gold in, in ice skating. Uh, we had the world's first, I mean, Britain's first uh, Olympic length rowing course there, so we had a lot of water sport. Um, so, and we had Donington Park Motor Circuit just down the road, so I was, yep. I, I went to some very, very big sporting events, and um, <clears throat> that was a great privilege to, to, to do that. Um, Later on, there were small, uh, small sort of victories, if you like, as a, as a, as a local photographer, local press photographer. Um, lots of, lots of, I don't know. Um, serving the community was important to me. I, as I say, my, my few years I did as an agency photographer really didn't suit my nature because, as I said, I'd rather people open the door. You know, when you knock on the door, they open it and invite yeah. you in rather than set, set their killer dogs on you and say get the hell out of my garden or whatever it is um so but there were times i mean i remember the first time i had a front page picture on the national uh, which was actually uh, the independent when it first started it was the it was very very pro photography and they used a lot of very interesting pictures in the independent and it did actually win um the newspaper of the year in its first year the national. Mm -hmm. and the first time i got the um front cover of that was was very exciting well very pleasing because it was an extremely hard picture to get. Um, I can briefly tell you, it was uh, in the middle of January and during the miners' strike up in Nottinghamshire. Yep. And um, basically it involved me getting up at about four in the morning, driving about 30 miles through heavy snow, um, where there was no other traffic about, and then getting some miners coming off their shift at six o'clock in the dark, in the snow. Um, and then getting back in, in time to be able to send it down to London for the newspapers. Um, and it was a very tricky, difficult picture to get, but it, 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 as I say, it made the front page of The Independent, which, you know, you got a lot of backslapping from that because everyone wanted to get the front page of The Independent. Um, yeah, and then a couple of weeks later, I got an exclusive picture of um, Ricardo Patrese testing a, his new Formula One car at Donington, where there had been several agencies there and they'd, um, they'd given up, decided that they weren't going to be able to get get access to get pictures of him and um, I just persevered and eventually got um, a couple of nice pictures of him in the pits. Nice. Uh, which, which again was used in the Nationals quite a lot, you know, nobody else got the picture. Yeah. Uh, so those sort of things are always very rewarding um, and very exciting. <clears throat> the first picture I ever had published was actually on the back page of the Daily Express. It was a, it was a picture from a Nottingham Forest football game. And so I, I went straight out and bought six copies of it, you know, I couldn't believe it. You know. <laughs> It could blame you. Yeah, it was it was exciting in those days because you know you 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 going to football matches like you know FA Cup matches and things like that and um, coming back halfway through the game and then sending pictures down to London to get them in the next morning's papers and uh, it was high pressure but very very exciting. Um, and you you know I guess the the other thing in getting select getting your shot selected you know you you you've probably taken I don't know you know couple of hundred shots or something and you know every other photographer at other games etc has uh, done the same so you know 
getting getting your one selected out of that's uh, probably uh, you know, or definitely going to uh, boost your ego a bit, I guess. Well, yeah, and also working at an agency when you're doing this big, these big sports events and things like that, there are other agencies there, and that's right. Earlier, it's very cutthroat, and I've seen some very dodgy practices going on. You know, where um, one agency photographer has tried to stop another agency photographer getting into their car or um, you know managing to get back to their own office and stuff. This is long before, <laughs> long before computers. I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And before you could, you just have to, you have to race, race back to the from office. Camera now, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to race back to the office and, and develop your film and, and then get them on the transmitter to send them down to London. And um, I've seen, I've been on Royal Rotors before. Well, I've actually seen. Uh, well, you know, you get these crowds of like eight, ten, twelve photographers repacked together on the rotor. Yep. And I've seen agency photographers lean around and pull the, the, the plug out of these, the flash guns, you know, <laughs> the old socket of somebody in front of them, you know, without them realising it. Uh, uh, and, you know, really, really quite dastardly deeds. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was, that was quite exciting stuff it was in those days. Um, I can imagine. <laughs> what what yeah. have you learned about the world through photography and you know, not, not just the dastardly things that people do, but... Uh... <laughs> Well, I've always been a bit of a skeptic about the world anyway. Um, and the, the media has been, uh, obviously, most people until relatively recently got all their information from the media. Mm. And it certainly taught me how powerful <clears throat> the media is. Obviously, in the old days, it was just a printed media, but now, of course, yeah, yeah. TV and radio and whatever. Um, and I never really understood how. Uh, the media really does govern opinion, public opinion, really, more than anything else. Mm. Um, oh, and, it doesn't, and, matter, doesn't matter what our leaders say. Uh, it's how they, what they said is presented that uh, people. Yeah, it's it's how yeah. how that gets manipulated and spun. Yeah, it, it's it's all manipulation. It's nothing is really true. Mm. Um, like the history books are always written by the victors and so forth. You know, and, the, right. and the, the, the news is always presented by. The person who has his own views, um, but but also you know, as a provincial photographer, you really do see the good side of people. You know, people do phenomenal things uh, that they don't have to just to help others and so forth. Always, uh, it's not all doom and gloom at all. It's just that uh, bad news is good news, as they say, and um, bad news makes people feel good about themselves because they're not having a bad time that people in the news are having and. Um, so yeah. good news, it's always been said, good news doesn't sell newspapers. And sadly, it seems to be a bit of a truth, certainly when it comes to the national media. I, I, don't, think that's, I don't think that's changed with social media either. You know, I mean, yeah, okay, yeah. people, influencers and whatever are trying to sell their good news of, you know, hey, look at me, I'm on a desert island or a tropical island or whatever, which is great. But uh, when it comes to the, the actual news side of things, I, I, I think I don't think it's any different. Now, I think one of the things that I did learn also is the fact that the national media and the local media are very, very different animals. And um, mm. Mm. I, I, I sort of used to go great lengths to explain to people that local media doesn't really exploit the community like national media does. You know, we, we have to live amongst our people, our readers, yeah. rather than just, just go out to, 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 to um, spend a day in the community getting all the bad news and disappearing back to London again. Um, so uh, that's why I like the local community, um, local media, because it actually serves its community rather than exploiting it. You know. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely. And that was definitely a feel good, the feel good aspect of local news. But I'm glad I did my agency work because I got some 
I've covered some uh, huge major events, you know, elections and general elections and, as I say, European Cup football, test cricket, and all things like that. Um, but also major bad stories. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, funny enough, the scariest people I ever covered were, well, I don't know if I'm going to go into sort of things, but um, when I used to do Crown Court, you know, you see on TV the snappers standing outside the court trying to get people arriving at court. Yep, yep. Yeah, and, and we used to cover them uh, all sorts, you know, from minor, relatively minor things up to multiple murderers, to be honest. The mm. scariest people were always um, these people called, like, badger baiters and, and dog-fighting type people. Oh, yeah, who were, yep. being, who were being prosecuted because they wouldn't, they'd be quite happy to have a go at you as they were coming into court, you know, they were those sort of people. Yeah, and yeah. you know, as I say, I, I've, I've 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 captured you know, you know, killers and murderers and that. But the scariest ones for me were these sort of low life dog fighting type people who have got a complete psychopath, and they'll they'll, they'll they see you, they'll come, come and have a go at you if they can. You yeah, know? and um, I didn't really like that side of it at all. You know? <laughs> who can blame I don't get, get paid enough for this sort of thing, so that's why I sort of got out of the the agency thing. Really, fair enough. Um, How much is <laughs> How much of your success would you attribute to your ability to communicate well? I think in, in, in terms of press photography, which, as I say, I was 20 years, I was a full-time pro. Um, they've always said in press photography, it's 10% um, ability and 90% bullshit. Um, and that's what it is. It's, you don't have to be a brilliant photographer, but you need to be able to get into positions where people don't necessarily want you to be in and so forth. Yeah, so, so you have to talk actually, your way into into that spot that's going to get you the shot. Exactly, and, and getting people to do things they didn't particularly want to do, and so yeah. forth. You know, and, um, so as I say, it's, it's it's really true. You need a certain technical. Well, in the old days, you needed a certain amount of technical knowledge because everything was manual, um, of course. Um, and but most of it is bullshit. You know, getting into places where you weren't invited and things like that, and uh, so forth. But, you know, I've been, um, I've had my. Collar felt once or twice by the police saying, you know, you shouldn't be here and, uh, out, you know, I've been kicked out of places and so forth. But that, that, that's, you know, in terms of that, it's, um, as I say, it's the way you operate is more is as important as how good an operator you are. Um, yeah, yeah. But when it comes to what I'm doing now, it's, as I say, it's, there are technical challenges, but they're, they're very different to the, the ones we used to face in the old days. Mm. And it's, it's much, I'm doing gentle stuff now, stuff that's you know, it's pleasant, it's gentle. As I say, I'm, I'm the, the big rewards now, the books, I've had, uh, as I say, my third book just coming out. Sorry, I keep harking on about that. No, no, that's um, fine. It is lovely to see stuff in print. Uh, many people don't realise that to get the quality good enough for glossy printing is more difficult than getting a picture that looks great on the internet, as you know. Absolutely. Um, there is a huge um, increase in quality, really. So you, you have to you you know you have to be quality focused. Um, and when I was you know in the old days, the content of the picture was far more important than the quality. Uh, yeah. If you're working for a newspaper, they want a picture of something that you can't get. They'd rather have a a really crap picture than no picture at all. They yeah. still want the picture. Whereas yeah, these days, if, if it's if it's slightly out of focus, but you can still see who it is or whatever, they're fine with it, as long as yeah, exactly. it's not the drama or the, or the story. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the best picture, I mean, the, the most successful picture I ever did was it was an out of focus picture of a guy arriving at court, being smuggled into court by the police. Yeah, 
And I just managed to find this. I was the only, I was the only photographer there. I managed to find a slot where I could just get an angle, uh, where I could get him, get his face, this guy. And um, this guy was, uh, well, he was, he was a very serious criminal. And um, I got this, uh, this, this slightly blurred, not too bad, but slightly blurred, um, very grey, black and white image of this guy's face. He was called Michael Fox. He was, uh, he was a, a famous villain many years ago. And um, the picture went everywhere. Nobody else anywhere had a picture of him. I had the only pictures of this guy. And the one picture, it's, the picture itself made well over 2,000 quid, and that was back in the 90s, you know. Yeah. So in terms, in terms of money, but these days now, you've got to be ahead of the, of, of the others because everyone can take a good picture nowadays, uh, very high-quality pictures. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons that there are very f- far fewer pro photographers around than there ever used to be because the standard of the average has, has, has risen hugely. Mm. Um, so um, it is, it is in some ways, it's, it's almost more rewarding now to get stuff published in print um, because that's still technically quite challenging getting high quality that's good enough for, for print. Yeah, yeah. So with your Seascape stuff, what what's what's your routine in terms of you know I, I guess prepping for heading out and you know how you manage the camera and the boat at the same time and you know what what what's your what's your shooting routine look like because it's you know for a lot of the people that I talk to uh, on this podcast you know it's it's where are you going to put your tripod you know but you're not using that so what what's your routine look like. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, as I say, I, I love being on the water anyway. So if it's a nice evening and I've got a couple of hours to spare, I'll nip out. And obviously, <clears throat> I may not have anything in mind to photograph, but obviously I'll take my camera with me mm-hmm. um, and just see what happens to be out there at the time. So th- there's only a few times when you can uh, prepare, you know, be certain of where you're going to go because it's so weather dependent. That's the thing. Um, so it, it's quite often spare of the moment going out. Um, and I've, as you say, you know, operating the boat and taking photographs at the same time can be challenging sometimes. You need four hands, really. Um, there's more than once I've been focusing on, you know, concentrating, squinting through the lens at something on the coast and suddenly look around and realize that I've drifted much closer to the rocks than I meant to, you know, and, um, yeah, yeah. you sort of think, oops, you know, cause you're, you're so focused on what you're doing. Um, as I say, I very, very rarely go out with anyone else. A dog, a dog comes with me sometimes, my sea dog. Um, another thing is, uh, as I say, being weather dependent, I got a phone call a few years ago from somebody on Portland saying there was a, a big pod of dolphins swimming, swimming past. And um, I hadn't got a lot of dolphin pictures at, those time, at that time. And um, I went down to the boat, and this was late, late, late winter. It was late March, I think, and, it was, and it, the weather was quite rough, and, and it was very, very marginal about whether I'd go out or not. So, um, but in the end, I decided to go, give it a go. And the thing about boats is, you, what you should normally the rule is go out, see what you think about it. And you can always come back in again if you need to. But um, so I went out, and it was very, it was very rough, and it was very marginal. But I managed to get these some very nice pictures of dolphins, some of which went into the nationals. Um, but at the same time, I was really getting thrown about, and I came back black and blue from that trip because I was falling over all the time um, in this, my small boat in the waves. There were, there were some big waves out there, but it was worth it. But it, as I say, it was marginal, and um, that's one of the decisions you have to sort of make mm. there, on the spot. On the spot, you can't really judge from twenty miles away. Um, no, until you're a, there. 
Yeah. So and I've dropped about, a, a, go on. One of the um, things that I can say about Nikon gear is that uh, it bounces quite well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what is, what about your uh, processing? You, you know, you've uh, you've got out there. You found your pot of dolphins, or your your shot of Dirtle Door, etc. Are you straight back home, whack it onto the computer, and you know start editing, or do you tend to let it ferment a little bit and uh, you know take a more considered approach to it? Yeah, it, it depends. Sometimes you're not really hundred percent of sure of what you've actually got uh, mm. because you've been if it's very bumpy. You, you sometimes I actually some often I actually hold the camera away from my face because um, it's too it, the motion is too violent. So you 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 the black eye. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yes. Um, so often it's not. You, you, and also when you're on the boat, you don't often have time to review your images until you can get back ashore. Um, so oftentimes I'll come back and look look and see what I've got, and, and then just earmark ones that I'm going to have a, a second look at uh, later um and um it's surprising how many you spot that you didn't realize you'd, you'd, you'd managed to get um just a certain moment so again the, when it's when it's when it's bumpy the autofocus is a problem it's a major problem and you can't manually focus because you can't really you're moving around too much yeah, yeah. Boils down. um so sometimes you're really not quite sure what you've got until you come back to shore and um, sit down. I, I like to, you know, if, I, if I've got time, I'll sit down and have a pint on the, the pub on the way home and um, just scroll through what I've been shooting, you know. That's quite a pleasant part of it. Yeah. And then um, one of the useful things about using like a 36 megapixel camera is that you can pull them up a fair bit, which you, you often need to do. Mm. Um, you can't always get as close to places as you want to. Um, yep. So it's useful to have all these pixels if you want to um if you're looking for publication quality images yeah um so often you'll i'll get a picture and i'll, I'll notice something on one side of it and think oh what's, what's that caught there you know and then zoom in on it and find it's actually quite an interesting um image you know that i didn't realize i had yeah yeah um so it's 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 really on a day-to-day -day basis um normally unless i'm actually somebody's asking for urgent pictures or something I'll have a good look through and enjoy them and then come back to them the day after a couple of days later maybe yeah but if right. i if, if it's occasionally i get asked to do something for an you know for an agency or something and so obviously i'll come back very quickly process half a dozen or whatever it is and then send them over to the while i'm over to the agency you know um but generally they most of my pictures sit in my library and i can go in there um and if i'm doing a feature for a magazine i can do the selection process online really because the best ones i've got i've uploaded Yep. Um, to the website. Sure, sure. So, um, post processing, as I say, I, when I'm actually doing pictures, I don't use any <clears throat> any filtration or anything. There's no really not a lot of time for that, and also I don't want to lose any light. Mm. I need as much light, light as possible usually. So if I want, if I need to tweak the, obviously you tweak the colours and um, and so forth when in, in post processing, um, and all the things you used to do in the dark room, you know, the contrast and burning and dodging and things like that. And, a bit of yep. sharpening of course um uh but i don't do anything you know I'm, I'm i'm not really like an abstract photographer i'm more of a documentary type and um yeah, yeah. Like to photograph, photograph what is there warts and all you know um i uh i, I consider the 21st century is is as legitimate a time in the 
history of the Jurassic Coast as any other time is. So, so as I say, I photograph everything I see, which includes uh, human interaction and, and animals and industry, fishing, cruise ships, whatever it is, because this is actually a record of what is happening now on the Jurassic yeah. Coast and yeah. in the waters. So in the future, well, people will, you know, and say... Um, it, it, so it's something that I, in, in talking to, uh, you know, both clients as well as other photographers, that I'm, I'm always encouraging, you know, take shots of stuff which you might think mundane now because in, yeah. you know, 20, 50, yeah. 100 years, they're actually going to be fascinating records of, oh, that's what, you know, 2022 yeah. looked like or 2021 or whenever, you know. Absolutely. Yes, some of the most famous photographers from the last look, century. Sort of. look, look at those funny hats and suits and coats that they used to wear. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you, yes, you know, you love to... how big the cameras were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why the stuff that, you know, Cartier Bresson and Lartigue and people like that were doing yeah. was pure recording, recording, and that was all. Hmm. Mm. But they're some of the most fascinating pictures to look at now. They really are. Absolutely. Yeah. I, lo I love a historical photo. You know, you've, I've seen some amazing stuff of uh, my hometown here in Sydney uh, from, you know, the, the very earliest days of photography right through, you know, the, the 1920s and 30s and so forth. And, you know, it, it's, I, I think it's marvellous because you, you can sit there and try and work out, okay, well, where was that taken? And you can replicate it and you can do that comparison of, well, this is what yeah. it looked like 100 years ago. Here's what it looks like now, you know? Yeah, that's, 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 that's the job of a documentary snapper, really. Mm. It's recording the now. Definitely. Um, yeah. Have you ever hit a creative wall? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I'm not a particularly creative person, I wouldn't say. Um, my strengths... Personally, I think my strength has always been composition. Mm. Um, I've always had a good eye for composition, and sometimes, um, which isn't really being creative, although when you, you can creatively crop an image, obviously, uh, and, and you can completely change the composition of an image by how you crop it. Um, but I don't, I don't think, I, as I say, I, 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 my, my, my 20 years as a full-time pro were as a press photographer, and there yeah. isn't much time to be creative when you're a press photographer. Yeah, it's high um, pressure, yeah. It's high pressure and it's and it's recording. It's, it's documentary, really. Mm. Um, and so, in, in in a way, I'm still doing something similar, which is recording what's there um, uh, and what's happening at, at, at this particular period um, for for people a who live locally who've never seen these angles or whatever, but also in the future mm. for, for posterity, for people to just look back and say, "Oh, that's what it was like," and that's what the people did, and um, so forth. So I, I, I've never really regarded myself as, as a creative photographer at all. Although, obviously, when you when the computerized side of it came along, there were ample opportunities to be as creative as you want to be on a computer, you know. Um, but it's not something uh, I've, I've really thought of myself as. Um, um, I always thought of, I've, I've, I've always been a jobbing photographer. I've always had work and uh, I've had an eye for, for composition and so forth and, and, and light as well. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I don't consider myself a particularly creative photographer. Um, there are, I mean, there are lots of landscape photographers, um, and you think, how can you actually do something different from this uh, angle that a hundred other photographers have done the same thing from? Um, That's it. Yeah. Without actually changing something yourself, yeah. rather than the fact that the landscape itself has changed, or, or um, you can you can you, know, you can go out in different weathers and you can yeah, keep an eye on the light, light, different lighting conditions. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you can't really change the subject matter. Mm, mm. Um, 
and it's, it's only how you look. It's only how you look at the subject matter. That, yeah, and in some of the the iconic spots, it's very difficult to take an original composition as well. You know, I've seen seen a few photographers manage that, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. consistently, yeah. and they're they're people that are really sort of starting yeah. to you know push the the envelope on those sorts of things. But they, yeah. even still, you know, you 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 will. Yeah, it's kind of like I've I've said this before on the podcast. You know, you, there's only so many angles you can take of the Sydney Opera House, for example. You know, it's iconic, oh. it's it's beautiful to look at, but you know, there's only so many places where you can stand and and get a shot. You know, there's, yeah, well, there's a lot, but yeah. <laughs> uh, well, as I say, one of the, one of the things I, uh, I've done, I've been quite, I've been quite lucky with wildlife. Uh, but what I tended to do because I don't have the big specialist lenses. Mm. I tend to um, inc uh, include quite a lot of the environment in the picture. Yep. Um, and I've noticed many times in some of the magazines, uh, you get a close-up of a, a fabulous, you know, a, you know, a kingfisher diving for a fish or whatever it is. Stunning picture. Mm. But it could be anywhere. It could be, in, it could be in your own aquarium. Yeah, you can't tell where, where no. there's no so, so context I, behind it. It's one just... Of the thing I, yeah, exactly. It's context. And one of the things I've done reasonably well with is, is, is not trying to get close-up pictures of, animals because i can't but it's getting them in context mm, uh, mm. and showing that they yes actually that was just down the road from here or, or you know that was um at a picnic spot where anyone could go to and that it wasn't set up or anything like that you know yeah. um, and i think these have done quite well because most people seem to automatically try and get the closest action they possibly can and some of them do it extremely well um so i just tried to find a slightly different angle um, and it's, that's gone quite well for me. I've got quite a lot of stuff published like that. But I would never consider myself a wildlife photographer. Mm. Um, but I have photographed a lot of wildlife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, do you, what do you see as being the biggest challenge facing photographers right now? I think if you mean when you say photographers, uh, it's, it's actually being a photographer. Yeah. Um, pardon my cynicism, but I mean, everybody now is a good photographer. Um, you know, newspapers and magazines don't employ photographers anymore. They don't need to. No, um, that's it. Yeah. And the challenge is is being saleable, really. I mean, I'm I'm a member of the British Institute of Professional Photography, which is mm -hmm. um, it's the only uh, organisation which is purely professionals and nothing else. Yeah. And um, obviously, the numbers have, have diminished over the years because there are far fewer of us around. Um. But um, nowadays. Anyone can send in, as you say, whatever, what, news is, is, is almost dead, really, because every, there's always somebody at, at a news event with, with good quality iPhone pictures or whatever it is. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. You don't need to send a photographer out. There's plenty of photographers there with their telephone, with their phones. Um, so um, I think being saleable, I've always said the thing about being a professional photographer is professional is the word professional. And professional yeah. means selling. It means selling. So you can either be uh a creative type um or you've got to be very original um in in the way you treat uh, common common subjects and so forth um and being professional means getting paid yeah and most yeah. of the most of, most of the photographs you see published nowadays have not been paid for no that's um, it yeah. so there, there is i mean it's it's, a, it's 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 different you know there was a career option in the old days it, uh, many years ago it's not so much a possibility anymore really being a, a professional photographer i mean obviously video and online stuff is more and uh, still a lot of demand for that um but uh, yeah. i think it's, it's it's very difficult if you want to be a, a pro nowadays 
I couldn't make a living from it anymore. Not the stuff I'm doing. I do okay out of it, but uh, I couldn't um, totally support the family from it anymore, like I did, you know, twenty years ago. Yeah, I think that I, I got to say, I think that's very much a rarity nowadays. Yeah, I mean, obviously, things like weddings there'll always be demand. Yeah, things, um, uh, and and yeah, if you can get into fashion, you know. Yeah. But you know that that kind of tends to be a little bit more niche in terms of you've got to have the studio you've got to have the gear you know and when i say gear not just the the cameras and lenses but also the lighting and you know reflectors and all the rest of the other stuff that well, yeah i mean most, 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 most it's, it's all company. very it's all very cliche it's all very cliquey, isn't it as well yeah I mean, very I mean, very hard to break into unless you it's very it's more these days it's more about who you know you know that's right yeah <laughs> I, I mind you i don't know that that's ever changed <laughs> No, I just think it's it's, it's more now. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, as I say, I keep harping back to the old days. But if you're a good photographer, you can always get work. Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. You know, um, who, who, no matter you know whether you knew people or not, if you were good at it, then someone would buy. It, you know, you could sell it. But these days, it's very, very, yeah, very, very, very much who, who you know. Yeah. Yeah, very much about that. Yeah. What What do you see as the you know future of photography? Well, I mean, it's obviously the digital side of it is, is um, people are creating extraordinary images nowadays that were absolutely totally impossible 20 years ago, um, unless you're, you unless you painted, <clears throat> you couldn't do it in photography. Um, so you're starting to see very interesting, unusual pictures that would would only have been from artists in the old days. Uh, obviously, there's an argument that photographers are artists, or, or they're not artists, depending on the point of view. Um, but now you can be far more creative and um, easily than you ever could before. Mm, definitely. The, I mean, I obviously, as I say, I used to look at um, stuff photographers were doing, and you know, a Dali-esque type photography where you get things going sideways or stuff frozen in space or whatever it was was incredibly difficult stuff to do. Mm. You can do it very quickly now uh, with yeah, yeah. You know, and with with very cheap equipment too. Indeed. Indeed. Um, and also, it's getting more, I noticed there's more and more software coming out for computers now, which says, uh, here's a collection of skies. Mm, so you mm. don't even have to bother looking for a decent sky. You're going, you know, it's, yeah, you don't have to wait for the weather to be good. You just, no, no, you just, you, I'll, I'll go through my sky, you know, my cloud collection and decide what backdrop to put in it. <laughs> um, so the, the, the whole, <clears throat> the whole um, concept of photography has changed massively. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where the future lies. Um, there's, there's always going to be a, a demand for printed, I think. People will still always want to have books and some magazines and things. Um, the internet and digital won't take over from everything. No, definitely. So there's, there'll always be a, 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 some sort of small market for high quality, reproducible imagery. Um, but it's getting more and more. It's, it's the quality that's the only thing is the quality nowadays um yeah. top photographers have to produce very high quality stuff to, for it to be printed yep definitely. And, and that's still still a challenge for for, for amateurs really you know and yeah. telephones yep yeah what advice would you give to a 10 year old steve a 10 year old yeah uh yeah, I assume you're talking in terms. Never get married is what I would say. But um, <laughs> um, if you're talking in terms of photography, just 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 do what you like. Um, 
do anything you like. Don't you don't have to obey any any rules anymore. Um, you had to know the rules in the old days before you could break them. Yeah, like uh, exposure had to be right, or else you wouldn't get an image. Yeah, um, that's right. You can get you can get you really can get a silk purse out of a sow's ear these days. Um, you couldn't in the old days. Um, so if if you want to do photography, then do it, please. It's great, uh, but don't expect to be able to make a living out of it <clears throat> uh, anytime soon, really. Mm -hmm. But you know, enjoy it. Um, if people are people are you know, it's, it's more pictures have been taken now than have ever ever been taken before, obviously, and and the, the quality is fabulous. Or you know, the content is fabulous now. Um, but it's not the it's not the uh, slightly sort of um, unique position uh, that it used to be. Um, no, definitely not. Yeah. I know what I mean. I can't quite put it in words, but I know what I mean. <laughs> I, I I'm pretty sure I know what you mean too. <laughs> yeah. What what's your favourite thing about being a photographer? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so when I, in the old days, I, I, I like the fact that uh, you, you, were, you were serving people most of the time. People were inviting you to take pictures of stuff, <clears throat> and it pleased them. And um, there was a certain amount of skill involved, you know, not just in taking the images, but processing afterwards and so forth. Um, I don't know what it is actually. I've always, as I say, I've always been sort of into aesthetics, really. Visual visuals are, have always been important to me. Some people are not particularly interested in, in, in aesthetics, but yep. for me. I've always been interested in aesthetic and I like a sense of balance and symmetry and so forth. Um, so when I take a, a picture that I like, you know, often other people cannot see what it is I like about it. But, um, mm, mm. but to me, it just pleases me. Um, so I, I don't, I'm, it's nice to get the oohs and the ahs and the you know, compliments for, for photographs. Uh, it's, it's a nice little ego rub sometimes. You know, selling books is nice as well. Yep, yep. Um, uh, but uh, it's not a profession for me anymore, really. Mm, mm. Um, what's, your, what's your least favourite thing about being a photographer? Well, in the old days, there were a couple, I'd say, there were one of the things with the dark room was a very, very unhealthy environment to be working in. Um, and most of the people in my sort of age, I know, have got various issues from the use of you know, breathing in chemicals or sticking your fingers in chemicals and so forth. And there were there were various, it was an unhealthy environment being in a dark room. Um, the hours were, were, were really pretty shit in one, at one time. You know, if you're a press photographer, you have to be available 24-7, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, you saw, you know, when you're doing the, the unpleasant stuff, you really see the dregs of society. And uh, it could be quite, I'd come away from some jobs quite depressed sometimes. Um, yeah. How can people do certain things to each other or whatever, you know? Um, uh, so, so, but I think these days, unless you're in the press side of things, you know, the reportage side of things, th there's nothing really negative about photography, is there? Um, no, no. I mean, you could argue, I mean, I say in reportage, there's the intrusive side of things, but um, people that don't want to get photographed don't have to be photographed. You know, no, that's right. Yeah. Most of the time, 90% of the people who object are actually quite pleased. You know, they, <laughs> <laughs> paparazzi and all that stuff um i don't like the way that when when digital first started there was a lot of um editing of, of, of images so they were actually presenting false images totally um, yeah yeah well i don't i don't know that that's entirely stopped either oh it certainly hasn't stopped but it's not quite as overt you know um, no, the, sun, sun, the sun was bloody terrible it's also becoming harder to detect 
Yes, that's very true. Um, but the sun was, you know, some of the newspapers really were, were, were absolutely completely shameless about it. And they would, I remember there was, there was one, one famous picture. There was two famous celebrities who I don't think knew each other very well. And somebody else was in between them, and the three of them were walking along together. And, and, and the newspaper completely took the middle person out and made it look like two celebrities walking hand in hand. Yeah. And they really hardly knew each other, these people, you know. And that was the really worst time when, it, when the early digital days were really bad. People now are much more suspicious of images, they don't yeah. trust them so much. Yeah. But also, um, the reverse side of that is that sometimes people don't believe that an image is genuine. Yeah, you show somebody something and they go, that's not real. <laughs> that's been photoshopped. That's not real. Yeah. Uh, and in the old days, that wasn't an issue because you couldn't really fiddle images, really, not very easily. Yeah, yeah. Well, Nowadays. You, you could, but it was a lot more effort. Well, as I was saying, you couldn't do it easily. And it, yeah. you, know, you had, to have, had to have quite a lot of skill to be able to do it. Um, nowadays, people just say, oh, you must be photoshopped, you know. Yeah. No, honestly, it's not. It's genuine, you know. And and a lot of the time now, they want to see originals. Well, people want to see original files if yeah. you're in competitions, anyway, which I don't really going for. But um, you can understand why. Definitely, definitely. What do you like to do when you're not out shooting? Sleep and drink, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah, what, uh, what, are you, what, what are you drinking? Are you uh, a, a real <laughs> ale man or a cider man? I was I was very much a real airman until fairly recently, and I'm, I've moved over onto cider now. Um, but living in this part of the world, you know, it's lovely. Well, to the best of both worlds, I think. Yeah, yeah. Take the take the dog out for a walk uh, quite often every day, and um, um, and I'm, I'm I'm still working, as I say, on on, on production magazine production from mm. home these days. Um, and I, was, I like to, one of the things that's, that's nice to do is dig out old images from ten years ago, maybe, and, and go through them and think. Oh, how did I miss that one before? You know, I'll have another go at that then. And um, that's another thing. Uh, I'm going through old stuff and thinking, that was actually a good picture. Why didn't I proceed, you know, do something with it? Yeah. My wife always jokes and says that I often say, without even realising it, bloody that's a good picture. Did I, did I really take that? You know? <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yeah, sleeping, sleeping, and uh, walking the dog, really, and no, going out on the boats no. uh, when I can. Yeah. Are there any photographers out there that uh, you think I should be talking to? Oh, currently, um, yeah. I don't know. There's a guy. Uh, there's a very good um, commercial photographer um, who lives quite near here, and he's he's. I used to work with his his wife um, in in newspapers and um, Paul Paul um, oh, I don't surname now Paul um, I'll tell you in a minute um, yeah no worries he, he, he's he, he's a very modest chap and he actually flies all over the world doing very large format cityscapes um, on a yeah. you know one of these it's all way above my head but one of these really large format cameras. Yep. Um, which are like 200 megapixels or something like that. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's producing some of the most incredible pictures I've seen um, of cityscapes. And he, he, he has, you know, some of his clients are really, you know, Hollywood and uh, Far East. He gets taken, he gets, goes all over the world taking these pictures. And when you look at them, the, the depth of information in there is just mind boggling. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Paul, Paul Reefer, I think his name is R E I double F. Okay. Yeah, Paul. He's in the BIPP. If you go to the BIPP website, that's the British oh. Institute of Professional Photography. Um, he's in there, but he's a very modest chap. Um, yeah. But certainly, he's he's very interesting. Um, he, the stuff he talks about, I don't even know what he's talking about half the time, but it's interesting. <laughs> um, definitely looking. Yeah, up. but uh, there are there are there are there are a lot of good photographers around. Always have been. Um, <laughs> But it's, it's harder and harder to, to sort the wheat from the chaff these days because of the quality that is standard. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, That's why, why I've got a very long list of uh, people to talk to. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, a friend, a friend of mine who I used to be work with on newspapers called, um, he now works for Getty Images. Mm -hmm. um, and his name's Finbar Webster. He's a press photographer. He's an out-and-out -out press photographer. He's not really landscape. Yep. Um, but the thing about Finn is I always used to say he always gets the picture. He always gets the picture. Um, yeah. No matter what job he, he was assigned to, he always comes back with the right with, with a picture. Astonishing chap. But again, it's a, sorry, it's not really landscape at all. Um, no, that's okay. That's fine. Um, I mean, the old in the old days, I, I, as I say, I like the documentary guys. You know, the Cartier Bresson and Jack Henry Lartigue and, and Bert Hardy and people like that. So they used to yeah, yeah, yeah. love their um, documentary stuff. Um, Landscapes, I don't know, so many landscape photographers out there these days. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I was, I was certainly, ever, I mean, if, if, if you include cityscapes or, or urban yeah, scapes. Uh, to, to me, even to, to a certain extent, um, not, not so much the, the, the people watching side of street photography, but, you know, street and architecture photography, I, I consider to be part of landscape photography because. It's kind of like the the intimate landscapes you see of people taking, you know, uh, patterns in rocks or patterns in the um, in the yeah. bark of trees. Well, the urban landscape is, uh, you know, it's it's a landscape. It's the the interaction and interplay between you know humans and the environment that they've created for themselves. I think is a another. Yeah valid part of landscape photography you know some people like to make that natural landscape is is what they mean by landscape photography and you know they yeah they they, they may even exclude seascapes you know but for me the that broader you know terminology yeah. around landscape incorporates the the city and uh, and streetscapes yeah yeah no i, I will I would, I would definitely recommend paul reifer as i say it's r-e-i-f-f-e-r um and if you if you if you Google him, he's on Wikipedia and things like that. And um, yeah. he's quite modest because most people will never ever have heard of him. Uh, and yet he get quietly gets on with his job, making a blooming fortune out of it as well. Nice. <laughs> and um, uh, and and he's probably the most, one of the best photographers you've never heard of. Um, mm. And he lives he lives on Portland, so he lives quite near here as well. Okay. Well, like he's, he's usually he's usually in Hollywood or Singapore or somewhere like that, you know. But um, yeah. have, a, have a look at his stuff; it's impressive. I will. Yeah. I de def yeah. definitely will. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. I've got one more question, and it's uh, for some people that listen, the, the most important one that I ask uh, everyone who yeah. comes on the podcast. Do you like pineapple on pizza? Uh, <laughs> I'm sure everyone always laughs and hesitates when you say that as well. Um, some do, some don't. Some, some people are yeah. very adamant yes and very well, adamant. One of, my problem, one of my problems is I've got a lot of... Over the years, I've acquired a lot of splinters from sitting on the fence so much. <laughs> um, and I'm very much a fence sitter. I, I, yes and no, really. I, you know, 
I've always tried to be a bit of a, 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 trying to see the other the other side of, of any argument really. And um, uh, I like pineapple, but I'm not necessarily on pizza. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> on the other hand, you can put anything on pizza now, can't you? Well, that's it. I've, uh, I've I've seen some very bizarre combinations uh, in my time. But uh... well, yes, yeah. Um, I once had a meal at uh, uh, I can't remember a famous restaurateur chef that combines the most ridiculous things. You know, like um, crab meat and chocolate and things like that. You know, ridiculous. Okay, wow, well. <laughs> Esten Blumenthal. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and, um, I'm, I'm yeah. familiar with his work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, I must admit, this just didn't the, the from the aesthetic, I just couldn't touch it, you know. Yeah, fair enough. It's, you, know, you can go so far and then it just becomes pure, uh, it becomes gimmick after a while, doesn't it? And um, Yeah, I, I think you're right. Well, I think basically with anything, if, if you like it and it doesn't harm anybody, go ahead, you know. That's it. That's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to talk to me, Steve. It's been really fascinating talking to you and listening to some of your amazing experiences where can people well, find you. your work uh well stevebelasco.net will give you all sorts of options that's the place to look as i say anyone that's interested in the books you can order them offline now i've just i mean online now rather so that's something i've I'm, as i say i'm a bit of a technophobe i wouldn't say um like i don't dislike technology i just don't understand it very well um, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not a luddite. I do understand that how clever it is and how wonderful when it works it is. But uh, I've set up. You know, I have my own website. I mean, it's been a, it's been quite a uh, quite a journey getting it set up and everything. Um, but now you can you can look at all the pictures. You can down, you can um, order them or you can um, find the books. Order the books online now as well. The first one sold out unfortunately, but the um, the new one's just coming on now. And that is, uh, I'm rather proud of that, actually. It's rather, um, I can't show you it now on, on screen, but anyway. Um, so, yeah, stevebelasco.net, and it's B-E-L-A-S-C-O. Fantastic. I'll include a link in the uh, in the show notes. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, it's, been, it's been a pleasure, Grant. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon. Mm-hmm.